If you have your Bible with you this morning, I do invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 11. It's appropriate this morning on Palm Sunday that we spend some time talking about the triumphal entry of Christ. We're going to do so by looking at the first 11 verses of this chapter, chapter 11, 1 through 11. And hopefully you have realized that today is Palm Sunday. Um, if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, first off, welcome. Uh, secondly, um, our children don't always parade around with palm branches. Um, that is a special aspect of the service this morning uh, as we recognize um, what it would have been like, what that moment, just a, a glimpse of what that would have been like to have been there, to have been a part of, to, to see Jesus with the disciples and with the crowd entering into Jerusalem and to get a sense of the, the weight and the joy that would have taken place. We do a few things differently today and um, in this week of preparation for um, Easter Sunday, we're going to reflect in different ways. Lord willing, on Good Friday, uh, we'll be looking at chapter 15 and then Easter um, morning, we'll be um, back in chapter 16 of Mark, looking at this full picture, this window into this final week of Jesus' life before the cross. 33 years culminates in these few days. This time, this moment, this season. We get to the point in the Gospels, especially in, in Matthew and Luke, where um, Jesus says he set his eyes upon Jerusalem. It got to the point that he was ready. And he was focused. And from there forward, everything built up to where we find ourselves this morning. And as we will see, some people were excited about it. The disciples, the broader crowd, others from the community joined in, gathered in the celebration. They saw Jesus as a conquering king. And they had hoped he would undo the curse and establish the Jewish people as the dominant force in the region. They longed for the son of David to sit on his eternal throne. And as we go through the passage this morning, I want you to be asking yourself a few questions. What exactly was the crowd thinking? What was going through their minds? How about the disciples? What would they have been thinking as this event unfolded? And even then, what was Jesus thinking? What would have been going through his mind what thoughts, what is driving him, what forces are, are pulling him to where he is and to this precise moment for this precise purpose? And then lastly, I want you to ask yourself as we go through this text, what does it mean for me? What does this mean for me today? Because I assure you that God's word is good, that God's word is particular for his people. And so it does serve a purpose for you today. With that in mind, let's hear from God's word. Let's read together. Follow along in Mark chapter 11 as I um, read the first 11 verses. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. 
If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go, let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. He has promised it will accomplish everything he has set out for it. Let us once again go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Our Lord and our God, what beautiful words, what awesome promises and proclamations in this passage, whether they were understood or not, whether the crowd fully grasped what was going on, what they say is true, and oh, how we need not only to know that and to believe it, but to proclaim it as well. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we unpack your word. Lord, I particularly ask for myself, give me the strength needed. Give me the strength needed to proclaim your word faithfully and with boldness. Help all of us through your spirit to not just hear your word, but to receive it today. And do all of this in your name and for your glory. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text begins just outside of Jerusalem near the small towns of Bethpage and Bethany. It's here at the Mount of Olives that should ring a bell a lot of Jesus' ministry. A lot of moments throughout biblical history took place right here. And it's at this point that, that Jesus directs two disciples to go into a village and fetch a donkey tied for him. Now you might ask yourself a question, and it's worth asking, did Jesus pre-order this donkey and have it waiting for him? And the answer I come to is no. No, he did not pre-order the donkey. Jesus knew that this donkey would be available. Today I want us to see really two things in our text. Um, you know... In Mark's gospel, Mark is really interested in showing that Jesus is the coming Messiah. Mark is really interested in, in showing Jesus as a, a prophet and as a priest and as a king. Mark is really interested in, in showing us that Jesus is interested in the Gentiles. And, and we're going to see that. We, we have already begun here um, to see how Jesus prepares the way for salvation. Um, or excuse me, God prepares the way for salvation. Um, we're also going to see that Jesus himself is that way. And we see that as the story unfolds, and, and you will have to forgive my, my cloudiness this morning. Um, I have been fighting a bout of sickness, 
and I'm about 70% of where I need to be right now. Um, so if you will forgive me for just starting the uh, first point without telling you the introduction, um, that's okay. Because this is important. It's important to know that God is the orchestrator. And, and by that, we mean God really does prepare the way for salvation. And we see that with this donkey. We, we see that in this moment where Jesus tells two disciples to go carry something out and it happens. It takes place. And it, it's easy to overlook. It's, it's easy to miss that point and just to get caught up in the story because it is a grand story. It is a, a, a wonderful moment. But don't miss the details it's the details that really speak to what God is doing right here. And, and I want to dig into that a little further. Think about this. There's a man who lives in a house. We don't know why. Was it to be close to his profession, to be near work? Was this a family plot of land that he had owned for centuries uh, that was given to him? We don't know. We don't know why he was at this specific house. We don't know why he bought a donkey. Here is an even crazier thought. Why would you buy a donkey and not use it? It had never been ridden. He's bought a donkey that's never been used. He's staked it outside his house with easy access to the road, and he just leaves it there. Is this a coincidence? I think not. I, I think that this is a clear display of God's preordained plan. The Lord brought that man to this place to purchase this animal for this purpose. And you couldn't convince me otherwise. You, you couldn't convince me that all of this was coincidental. Mathematically, the likelihood of all of those things coalescing together would be astronomical. I actually like to think that the owner was a person of faith. And in the other gospel accounts, um, the disciples interact with the owner. Here um, in Mark's gospel, he actually interacts, uh, the disciples interact with a crowd. Um, both of those can be true because the owner could have been in the crowd. Uh, so don't, while I'm telling you it's important to look at details and look at facts, also be careful that you're, you're not overanalyzing uh, to the point that you're trying to find you know, disagreements in, in the biblical text. But I like to think that that owner was a person of faith because Jesus says, well, just tell them the Lord has need of it. And, he, and they do. And what does what the owner or what does that crowd in, in Mark's instance do? They give it to him. And this actually shows us another important factor in our text. Um, Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. He is a, a, a mouthpiece for God. Remember, a, a prophet is one who speaks, who proclaims God's word. And there is a litmus test for if that is true or not, or if they are a prophet, and that's, does it come true? Well, does it come true? Let's, let's find ourselves the answer to that. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Well, Mark does not leave us wondering. Is Jesus a prophet? Does his words bear trusting? And they went away and found a colt tied at a door out in the street and untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying this colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let him go. Exactly. Down to the detail 
Jesus proclaims it, and it comes true. Jesus says, here's what's going to happen, and then it happens. There, there is no mistaking in this very short section of the text what Jesus said versus what takes place. Jesus is a prophet. He speaks on, on behalf of God, for he is God. And it's an interesting thing about prophets. Um, a lot of people claim to be prophets nowadays, but that's probably because we're not under um, Levitical law. Um, in fact, Deuteronomy 18 tells you to do this uh, to those who claim to be prophets but are not. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your hearts, how may we know that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of them. God gave prophets during a specific season in the life of the church for a specific purpose. They were to proclaim God's word. They were to deliver his message. They were to be his spokespeople and his, his mouthpieces. We do have that for us today, just in a different form. Here is God's word. Here is your message. This has all of the authority behind it. This, when we read it, we are reading God's word for us. And that's why we proclaim that when we uh, begin every service. When we read, we are reading the very words of God for you today. It is, it is very intentional that the Lord gave us this text for this day. And I don't know exactly why. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. But I can promise you this. You need to hear it. You need to hear it. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus speaks as God for he is God. And so we really see two pieces here. We see God preparing the way of salvation just for every little detail that had to take place, that had to, to fall in line for this moment to happen. We also see God preparing the way with Jesus and his spoken word. And think about all of the promises that he's made. Think about all of the people that he's healed. Think about all of the lives that he's changed. This is, this is that crowd. These are those people. These are those that are following him. This is what built up to this exact moment. And you see how much God has played a part in this. And ultimately, when you really think about it, before the foundations of the world were set into place, an eternal covenant, an eternal agreement between the members of the Godhead, in which God the Father and God the Son and, and God the Holy Spirit agreed to bring salvation to mankind that didn't even exist yet, an eternal agreement that Christ would come and he would live and he would die and he would rise again on behalf of, of God's people and save them from their sin. God planned it out from the beginning, from before the beginning, and that's hard for us to understand. Before time existed, God was orchestrating and planning and carrying out and, and preparing the plan of salvation for you today, for you God has laid it out perfectly. And, and like I said, st statistically speaking, to, to, to hit the prophecies, to, to reach this mark, to get to this point is astronomically impractical. 
really is. You should do the math. It, you should look it up um, later today at, at just how likely it was that this would happen. And the only conclusion you will come to is God had to have done it. God is in control. God is in control, and, and God laid out the path of salvation. And before we continue and look at how he did so through Jesus, I want to ask you a few questions this morning. How many of you maybe today feel like your life is spinning out of control? How many of you maybe feel like you don't have a handle on things and there's too much random, chaotic, and disorderly going on? I can tell you that's what my brain feels like at the moment. And, and here, to my point, you can see later, my next sentence, me too. <laughs> there's God's word right there. There's God's providence. Me too. It has been a whirlwind of a week in my life personally. And there's been a lot going on. There's been a lot coalescing in my mind and in my heart. And you know what? I, I found myself at one point this week where I just had to stop and pray. Really did. I just had to stop and pray. And, and when I did, I realized that I'd not prayed very much that week. Um, my life, my own life, when I try to run it, it tends to get off course. It, 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 it tends to start to swerve. It, it tends to start to veer and that's when those fluctuations occur. That's when things start to go out of control. And I admitted that to God. I, I said, God, I put myself in the driver's seat. You're, you're in the back seat. If not worse, you're in the trunk. Um, you're not, but that's what it feels like. And then I laughed. I, I laughed because I realized as I was praying to God, that was the answer. So what I, was, I was doing what I was called to do, pray to God. And God was saying, yeah, you know, this, this thing I've called you to, prayer, eh. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Trusting in me, resting in me, hoping in me. And it really is that way. When we place our trust in ourselves, when we place our trust in this world, when we place our trust in our, our abilities and our actions and what we can do, we're going to fall short every single time. But when we recognize that God has laid out the path and plan of salvation, God has laid out the plan for your life, there's hope in that. There's comfort in that. There's peace in that. There's rest in that. And I guarantee you, there's a lot of you that need to hear this today. Nothing else I do. Um, the Lord has really used this passage to work on my heart this week. And the beauty of it, it wasn't some convoluted plan. It wasn't some crazy scheme. It, it wasn't some 100-step plan. It was simple. Jesus Christ. God is the um, one who prepares and makes way and plans salvation. And he does so with two words, Jesus Christ. Which is simple to say, isn't it? This really is a one-point sermon because Jesus Christ is God. But to see this, let's look at our second section of our text. And it's important to note as we, we think about this moment, as we think about what took place, the disciples, the disciples are the first ones to take off their cloaks. Don't miss that. This text is all about the details. The disciples are the first one to acknowledge, to submit, to yield to Jesus. This is an affirmation of his kingship. This is them saying, we accept you as king. This will be important because unlike the crowd who ultimately will reject Jesus, at least parts of the crowd, along with Judas, 
The other 11 do get it. They do see it. And it is going to take some time. We do believe that it's post-resurrection when he opens their eyes to the Old Testament and shows them himself from the Old Testament that they really come to see all that he came to do. And in that window, when, when post-resurrection and, and prior to the ascension where he's teaching and, and confirming in their lives, but they get it. They get it. But it starts right here. This is a sign of humility, of respect and honor. This, they were effectively saying, we will follow you, King Jesus. At the same time, though, we don't want to miss that they don't quite get it yet. <laughs> They're not quite there. Because they most likely, like the crowd, was expecting Jesus to come into Jerusalem, to overthrow Rome, to set up his kingdom right then and right there. We know from some of the prior conversations they are already jockeying for position. Which one's going to sit at his right hand? Which one's going to get this position? Where do I get to be at the table? I want to make sure I'm close to Jesus when he's reigning and when he's ruling. They're not there yet, but they're headed in the right direction. Their, their heart's in, a, in, a, in, a, in an okay place, and, and the events that would happen here soon will, will solidify that. But Jesus, what's so remarkable about this, and, and what Mark does a really good job of, is he reveals to us it's true. Everything that we read from here forward, everything, even though it's said from a probably a misunderstood perspective it's true it's right and the disciples do start this kind of process but it does it is picked up by the crowd by his followers many spread their cloaks on the road others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and a historian notes the significance of of the palm branch um, in ancient times palm branches symbolized goodness well-being Grandeur, steadfastness, and victory. They were often depicted on coins in important buildings. In fact, uh, King Solomon um, had palm branches carved into the walls and doors of the temple. Kings and conquerors were welcomed with palm branches being strewn before them and waved in the air. This was an act to welcome a king. This was an act to say, our king has come. And the disciples in the crowd, they, they were convinced. Jesus has come to establish an earthly kingdom and overthrow Rome. They really were welcoming their warrior king. And the crowds, you know, we, we see this affirmed as they start shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That's a shout of joy. That's a shout of affirmation. That's a, that's a shout of let it be so. It's in some ways a lot like amen. It's a, it really is this confirmation. God, make this be. And I love that because they're right. They're exactly, completely, and totally right. He is the king. He is the one to come. He is of the line of David. He will establish his kingdom. He will overthrow Rome. He will bring Jerusalem to himself. He will restore the people of God. Just not in the way that they were expecting. Which is why we go from here to Lord willing on Friday, the same people, the same crowd, completely different response. Crucify him. We thought you were going to do one thing and you didn't. 
Now, is that his fault or is that them not really understanding what he came to do and what he said? Well, we'll talk about that, uh, Lord willing, um, toward the end of the week. But Jesus came to establish this kingdom, a worldly kingdom, no, but an eternal one. And it wasn't through force. It, it wasn't through superiority or might. It, it wasn't through um, the heavenly armies marching in and wiping things out. No, it was through submission. It was through submitting himself. It's through, no one takes my life, but I give it up. He laid it down. In this, we see that Jesus is the way to salvation. When, when we say that God prepares the way for salvation, what we really mean is God gives us Jesus. And Jesus affirms this probably in, in the clearest place in Scripture, John 14. He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus affirms his role as a prophet. Did you catch that in this passage? I go to prepare a, a place for you in my Father's kingdom. I wouldn't have told it to you if it were not true. Jesus, once again, just like we saw in our text today, he makes a promise, and we can, be rested, we can rest assured that he is fulfilling that promise right now. He is building a place for us. It's not a coincidence. You want to you talk about divine providence. What family did Jesus get put in? What was his fa earthly father's profession? He was a carpenter. What did Jesus promise? I'm building a place. What do you need to build? Carpentry skills or money to outsource. But carpentry skills. Jesus is preparing a place. I would not have told you if it were not true. And, and that just concretes, that just solidifies what he says next. Well, how can we get there, Jesus? How, we don't know the way. Poor Thomas, he, he gets such a bad rap, but he really asks the questions that we would all ask if we'd have been there. Well, I am the way. I am the way there. I am that path. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know the Father because you know me. Jesus is the way of salvation. The crowds have the right conclusion. And we do need to, to, to take a step back and appreciate all that's going on to get us to this point. We have to recognize that for us and for our lives today, God has brought us exactly where we need to be. And I, I find that encouraging on two levels. One, when things don't go the way I want them to, I remember the disciples and I remember the crowd. If they had gotten their way 
and Jesus had established an earthly kingdom, it would not have fulfilled the divine payment for our sin. Jesus' plan for salvation and for my life and for yours is greater than we can imagine. This transforms our setbacks and our failures. This brings comfort and hope when matters take a different direction than we were expecting. Because it's not random. It's not an accident. I mean, really, a man buys a donkey, which is a work animal, and then never sits on it and puts it to work and just ties it up outside his house where anyone can get to it. You can't convince me this is all coincidental. And yet, even that donkey, we could even go even further. We can can get even more precise. That donkey had to be born. Um, the, The birthing process, especially the birthing process of animals, if any of you are farmers or have spent time, is a very gruesome and violent process that sometimes has a very low success rate. And yet that donkey was born and allowed to live and cared for and protected for this precise moment, for this exact purpose. And if it's that case for the donkey, how much more is it for you? How much more is it for your life and your circumstances and your situation and your skills and your abilities? The second encouragement, we can't mess it up. (laughs) We really can't. God and His plan has chosen to include sinners such as myself. But it's not through me. It's not through you. It's the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that your heart is awakened to the gospel through the work of Christ by the decree of God the Father. Because let's be honest, if it really was up to me, if if you truly were placing your trust in Aaron Suber for you, you would be in a lot of trouble. Because we don't know, we have no idea. It just does that. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's the best I can do. But it's not. It's not up to me. It's not up to us. It's up to God. And because of that, it can't be messed up. It can't be stopped. In the book of Isaiah, a, a stump, a, a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. Think about where they were in Isaiah. Think about what he was promising. Think about what Babylon would have been like for the people of God. And then to have him say that I will endure. My people will endure through this season, through this trial, through this difficulty, through this period. I will last. Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that give you comfort? The world may grow very dark for us, dear Christians. In fact, we're promised that it will. So be it. So be it. What is the worst that can happen to us? Well, the world would say death, but death is just the passage from this life to the next. Death is the final sin barrier between us and Jesus. If, If the worst that could happen has already been conquered, well, then what's the problem? It's all been taken care of. It's all been laid out. Now, I say all of that and admit that it's going to be hard. Our lives are going to be hard. There's going to be difficult moments. There's going to be hard situations. And our sin is going to come with consequences. Your sin has been forgiven, but that doesn't mean you don't have to pay for it. Not eternally. But if you run someone over, you're going to jail. God forgives you for it, but you're still going to jail. For me personally, it's, it's why my ministry verse 
and, and a lot of you have asked me this, and I, I don't like doing claiming a verse, but if I did, it's, it's John 4.42. Um, and they said, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard it for ourselves. We know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. My greatest desire as a minister and as a person who knows you, who, have, who has come in contact with you, is that you don't need me. My greatest desire is for you yourself to know the Savior and to walk with Him and to trust in Him. And God has blessed me with the opportunity to walk alongside you in that. And I am grateful and I am so excited, um, especially on a day like today. But I really do. I really do hope that you don't need me. I really do hope that if something went wrong and I'm not here next Sunday, that you put somebody in this pulpit and they would preach the gospel and it would go forth and that you would carry out all those wonderful things we talked about in Sunday school, not for the sake of this church, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. I really do believe that. And I believe that for each of us, if we just stopped and thought about it, this triumphal entry is a culmination. We didn't even have time to go into the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in this. We didn't have time to go through even some more of the minute details. But really, when you think about it, God's preparing of salvation is remarkable. And ultimately, doing it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is something we couldn't have planned. It's something that we didn't see coming. And it's something that, praise the Lord, it is. Because it's what you need. It's what you need today. And I pray for each of you. I pray for myself as we go through this week, this week that we think about those, those last few moments of Christ on the earth prior to the cross. You think about what his sacrifice means for you, for your life. What it means for every aspect and every detail because I do promise you this. It is God's word. When I say that, I'm not saying it because I think it. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. How do I know it? Because he said it. And because he said it, remember, a prophet is only a prophet if the word comes true. You've got the track record. You can ask yourself, has God kept his word? Yes or no? And if he has, will he continue to do so? The word of the Lord will stand forever. And it will be good. And it will accomplish everything he has set out for it. And in that, we can praise him and we can thank him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that you have blessed me with the opportunity to, to share it and to study it and to proclaim it. And Lord, I, I thank you that as much as I get to do that, even more so, I get to hear it and listen to it and submit myself to it as well. I pray for everyone here. I pray for everyone joining us online that they really would rest in you Lord, this week in history, this, this moment of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, declaring his kingdom, declaring his authority, declaring his role as prophet, priest, and king is remarkable on many levels. But probably what's the most remarkable is the crowd was right. They didn't understand what they were saying, and they were doing it from a wrong perspective, but they were right. But by it and through it. Jesus Christ purchased salvation for us and the forgiveness for our sins. 
We thank you, Lord, that from the beginnings you laid out this plan. That it was not plan B, but it was always your plan to draw us to yourself. Lord, I pray that everyone here today and those joining us online know the comfort of that. And I pray that you would impress us upon all of our hearts. We thank you, O Lord, and ask that you be with us now in Christ's name. Amen.